Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight. We're discussing the 1000volts.com. 500 from the Talladega Super Speedway resulted in Eric Amarola's second career victory. His first at Talladega, his first of the year uh, for Stuart Haas Racing, a race that was pretty much dominated by Stuart Haas Racing all day long. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about the Truck Series race from Talladega Super Speedway. Timothy Peters, Noah Gregson made contact. Peters came out in front. Was it a clean move? We'll talk about it. Plus, uh, Kyle Larson gets penalized, 10 points. Uh, after Talladega, we'll discuss why and what that does for his championship hopes and the latest in the silly season news. Ryan Reed and Rosh Fenner racing some news out of the Xfinity Series this week. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. Here talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow tonight. First, John, it was the 1000volts.com 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. It was a snooze fest. Uh, right up until the very end, and then all of a sudden that final lap, um, some things started to happen. An accident that was determined in NASCAR's eyes that the race should stay green. They let him finish. Kurt Busch was leading on the final lap. He ran out of gas. Eric Amarola had enough gas in his number 10, Stuart Haas Racing Ford, and held off Clint Boyer and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., among others, to win the 1000bulbs.com uh, 500 what were your thoughts when you saw Amarola cross victory lane for Stuart Haas Racing in that 10 car? I was very happy for Eric Amarola. The guy has had a lot of bad luck come around to him. I mean, hell, he was leading the Daytona 500 going into going into turn three, and Austin Dillon put him in a wall. Um, he struggled, fought through a lot of things. I mean, you look, his first win, his official win, he ever had in NASCAR. He's driving for Joe Gibbs and Denny Hamlin was late getting out of Sonoma. He starts on the pole is leading the race for the first 150 laps. They pull into the pits. Eric, thanks for your support. Denny hop in the car. Denny wound up coming from back to front to win the race. I thought it was a great day. I mean, it was Stuart Haas. It was all Ford all day because doing the fastest cars, I mean, you look, Ford actually had a game plan amongst the Penske and Stuart Haas teams. Um, and the way Stuart Haas Racing managed the restarts where they actually spread each other out enough to make sure everybody could get in, get single file, get on the get on the white line, and go forward. It was a great day for Stuart Haas Racing. I was happy for Eric Almirola that he finally got the win that he has had a chance at a few times this year. I'm glad that they were able to finally finish a race off together without something biting them in the butt because a lot of times uh, the 10 car has been strong the first two stages and then something always happens in the final stage. I thought it was great for Eric Almirola, great for um, Stuart Haas Racing, great for Johnny Klossmeyer, his uh, win as a crew chief there for the number 10 car. I thought it was a great day. Yeah, what a difference a year makes in that 10 car. I don't know if you saw the graphic on Fox Sports, but goodness gracious, the year Eric Amarola's had in that 10 car compared to what Danica's done the last four years in that car, 
it's completely different. Uh, and, and what does this do, do you think, for Amarillo's <clears throat> championship hopes? I mean, here's a guy who, you know, hasn't won on, on anything else but a plate race yet. His, first, his other win came uh, in July at Daytona a couple of years back in a rain-shortened race um, for the 43 car at Richard Petty Motorsports. But now he's at Stewart House Racing, a very good team. This is a team that has been lights out all year. All four cars now have victories in the Cup Series this season. Very impressive. Uh, we saw him almost win, pull off the win at Dover. Now, obviously, there were some circumstances. Harvick had a loose wheel, and that's what put him out of there. But it just shows you the kind of year Amarola is having. Could he get the homestead, John, in your eyes? Um, he's, he's advanced to the next round. He's got Martinsville, uh, Texas, and Phoenix to really advance to, to homestead. Um, can he do it? Do you think he can do it? What, do you think this win gives that team the confidence to do that? Winning breeds winning. And a lot of times you look at Chase Elliott this year. He won his first race at Watkins Glen, comes through, wins at Dover. Wins beget, I mean, you end up, it's a culture that changes around the organization. That 10 car has always been the run of the litter at Stuart Haas Racing. Now they are on equal footing. They won as many races this year as Kurt Busch has. Um, they're part of all four teams of one. First time in the history of Stuart Haas Racing. I think they have a feeling, and it's going to give Eric Almarola a new sense of confidence. I mean, like you said, his one win that he won in the uh, Cup Series before was a rain-shortened win at Daytona. But this time, he got out front. He held it out front. He outdid everybody on the restart. He made it through. They were able to do it on gas. There was strategy. There was driver's ability. I think it's going to breed confidence in Eric Camarola because this is the win he's – I mean, he felt he needed to win at Stuart Haas Racing because this is the best ride he's ever had and probably ever will have. And he wanted to justify it this year, not like in the second or third year of his contract. Yeah, I still think the big three will make homestead, John. I know they've kind of hit a little bit of a lull here. We haven't seen them win a lot of races here recently, but I think the speed is still in those three cars when I refer to Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Shrek Jr. I think the speed is still there to get the homestead. They have the points, I believe, to get the homestead as well. But um, that fourth car is wide open, and, and I think a lot of people thought looked at maybe Clint Boyer. I think a lot of people looked at um, maybe uh, Brad Keselowski. Uh, another tough weekend Brad Kisla- for Brad Keselowski at Talladega. Uh, he and his teammate Ryan Blaney were up front and, and could contend for a win on that final restart. Had to pit Kevin Harvick the same way. Had to pit there as they were coming to green. Um, kind of a disappointing finish for them. Uh, you know, because Kozlowski, I believe, ended up somewhere around the uh, 27th position for Kozlowski. Ryan Blaney was 29th. Harvick was 28th. They just never, obviously, with the draft, could not get up there and do anything um, after they, they had to pit for gas. So, uh, a frustrating day for there, and really, it's okay for Harvest because he's got enough points to, to uh, advance to the next round. But for Blaney and Kozlowski, uh, a little bit miscalculation, and this is where Kurt Busch kind of looked at it and said, hey, we kind of got screwed as well uh, because of the last caution there. They had us run a lap or two longer under caution for what, for who God knows what reason, and, and really that put a lot of those teams um, at a disadvantage, I think, you know, if you're looking at Kislavsky as a guy who, you know, could potentially advance into the playoffs, I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I mean, this is a guy who won three straight races in the middle of the year, and it looked like he was pretty much 
saying, hey, don't forget about me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very good driver. I can win anywhere. And it looked like he was going to be that quote-unquote big four, make it the fourth big four. But right now, he is uh, one point out of the cutoff as we get ready to go to Kansas, Kansas for, the, for the cutoff race here. Um, kind of bad, bad news there for Kowalski. Yeah, the one thing you bother me about that final restart, the way it works, and it bugs me every time that they come to a green-white checker, especially whenever they know that everybody has calculated to get to the 500-mile mark plus a green-white checker. And then they keep running caution laps to make it a couple laps even further. I really think if there is a caution under 25 laps, or something, and it takes more than a lap to clean it up and the two laps to do your pit sequence, red flag it, clean up the track, then save it, go to caution. Make your last 25 laps count. Because riding around in the parade laps, I mean, doing the extra that somebody may have thought that something was on the track or they didn't like the way they lined up, Get them lined up, get them ready to go, put them on the back stretch, red flag them or whatever, make sure everything's sorted out. You do your you do your pace lap whenever they get them set to go. And when the uh, pace car goes, you know when you hit the restart zone, you're going green and you've got your green-white checker. It's too – there are too many people with too much involved and too much invested for the whim of whoever's in race control to determine they need an extra lap of caution because they don't take that extra lap or two of caution. Kevin Harvick finishes that race. Kurt Busch doesn't run out of gas going into turn two. Um, It's a whole different thing. Blaney doesn't run out of gas. I mean, it's, I think it's wrong the way they do it. I also hate the fact that whenever they have the stages, and they run the, uh, they do the green and white checker, and then they're under caution for what seven laps. So NASCAR, so TV can have their break and everything, but those laps count. So instead of having 500, I mean, the goal is to have 500 miles of racing, not 500 miles with 50 of it behind the pace car. I want to see as much green flag racing as possible. If they know that there's going to be a five-minute commercial break between the stages, have them do their pit stops, come out of pit road, park them on the backstretch. When TV's ready to come back, then they go. Because if TV's at a commercial break on a football game, guess what? There's a guy there who stands on the sideline right beside one of the referees and says, okay, TV's not back, TV's not back, TV is back. And then you hear, see the referee blow the whistle to start play clock and start everything going. I think there's wasted laps. I think there's wasted opportunities. And I think there's a lot of dead space in the race that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, honestly, John, and, and nobody's going to come out and admit this, I p- personally think part of the reason why we saw the extra caution laps was because of TV. They needed that last break, and I think they said – can you give us 30 more seconds? And they said, okay, let's wait for TV. Um, I hope that's not what the case was. You know, and, and it costs somebody like Brad Keselowski a championship because of a TV timeout. To me, that's, that is absolutely absurd. 
Um, but it could very well happen. That could have very well happened. I'm not sure. So, uh, but I agree with you. I think, you know, I would like him not to count. Um, it just, at least the, the laps in between the stages. Um, I, I just think it would be, it'd be awesome if they if they didn't count for sure. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. The biggest controversy though, John, was the cost, the non caution at the end. Um, after the whole gas fiasco, we saw Kozlowski, uh, Blaney, and and Kevin Harvick pit before they even got the green. We went racing, and um, at, you know we took the everything was clean. We took the white flag, uh, and then all of a sudden there was some action there uh, as the white flag went on, and boom, uh, a, a wreck between Chase Elliott and. Um, Matt Benedetto, among others, uh, Bubba Wallace got a piece of it as well. And NASCAR left the race go green. And they raced until the end. That's when Kurt Busch, who probably would have won the race, John, you know, if he is coasting at that point and they freeze the field coming out of turn one and he's coasting the rest of the way, he probably has enough gas to make it. Now, who knows if that's the case or not. But he would have been a lot closer, and uh, he would have been declared the winner had he just crossed the start-finish line first and maintained minimum speed there on the caution. So Kurt was very annoyed at the end of the race. He was mad about the two laps of the end of the caution. He was mad that there wasn't a caution thrown. Um, my question to you is, John, did they get this right? Now, I'm, I'm a believer, and I've said this numerous times, and I've been arguing until I was blue in the face by people. I want to see him run back to the green. If it's possible, I want to see it all the time. And I think people think that's crazy because I think of races back in history that would be affected by freezing the field. And I, I think we lose so much of the intensity, so much of the drama coming down to the stripe by freezing the field. Look at Saturday's race in the truck series. Timothy Peters won, and we were just kind of like, eh, woo. There was no drama leading up to it. Oh, my gosh, okay, Gregson spun. Now, now what's going to happen? Now, now who, we knew right away. Okay, the freeze, the freeze, the, fr, uh, the field froze. Wonderful, great. To me, I, I want him to run back to the yellow. I love it. And, um, but to me, there's a there's a way to do it. And I think it's you have to. To me, it just can't be a judgment call uh, because there's so much that goes into it. So. What were your thoughts on that finish there, John, at the end of that race on Sunday? I think Saturday and Sunday is comparing apples to oranges with the cautions at the very end. I think the way they did Sunday was perfect. Um, it was behind the leaders. More than half the field made it through. By the t- Where the wreck took place, whenever they came to the start finish line they were going to be able to get slowed down before they got to where the accident took place and on top of that they half the cars kept running and chase elliott had his window net down matt de benedetto had his window net down they were in contact with the spotters to say that the drivers were okay so you did not have to worry about um the safety of the drivers they were able to finish the race I'm fine and happy with the way they did it. Um, Saturday, whole different deal. Noah Gregson spun at the front of the field and had the opportunity to take out half the field. And while Noah Gregson's spinning, 
they could end up taking out him pretty hard if they're still running full bore. So it's comparing to apples to oranges. I think both ways they finished were the proper way to finish it under those circumstances. But again, I think the bigger controversy wasn't the fact that they kept running it green. I mean, you look whatever um, Kevin Kevin Harvick beat Mark Martin, Mark, Mark Martin in the Daytona 500. They were flipping behind them. There was a wreck going on. Boyer finished on fire, crossing upside down. But they raced to the finish line because there was no danger in front of them to finish out the race. So I think it was good the way they finished it. I just go back to the amount of caution laps going into that that watered down the finish because you didn't have Kevin Harvick up there fighting for a chance to win. You didn't have Keselowski. You didn't have Blaney up there fighting for the chance to win. They were back there fighting for 28 or just getting up the speed by themselves by the time the wreck happened. Listen, I, and, and I understand what you're saying, John, but you can't tell me that because Gregson wrecked in the front of the field, that's why the caution was thrown. I'm sorry. That's insane to me because the driver's not going to sit there and go, I'm just going to plow right into the 18 truck because the race is still green. They're going to lift. They're going to sit there and use their brain and say, I don't want to wreck my truck or potentially get somebody hurt. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and, and that's why I think the, the excuse of NASCAR telling you, well, we were in contact with the spotters of the 9 and the, and the 32 car, that's great. That's what I want to hear. But then why weren't you in contact with the spotters on Saturday? You could have done the same exact thing. Uh, you know, and, and I know it's split second, but that caution came out super fast on Saturday. And it, who knows what kind of outcome it would have had with the race. But to me, it just it confuses the, it confuse, it completely confuses the fan base when you do something like this. And, I, and listen, I love them running back to the green. I've, I've said – or running back to the caution. I've said it for years. I think we should do it more often. Um, just because I think these drivers can use their brains, you know, and, and say, hey, that, there's a car spinning in front of me. I'm not going to go 190 miles an hour if I don't have to. Um, I think drivers most likely can use their brains. Sure, there was an incident. I think it was Dale Jarrett at, at New Hampshire one time uh, where he was spinning. And, and that, but that, to me, was a very, very – uh, isolated incident, and that that's where I have it. To me, it's just for that split second that Gregson went up into the track, I'm not sure that they would keep it in, their foot in it. I, I just don't think it happens, but um, we, unfortunately for us, John, as far as the, the caution laps go, we couldn't see that. You know, we didn't know whether the track was clear because we were on, a, on commercial break, so we couldn't see us sitting at home what was going on why is this caution taking so long? What are they doing? Um, and we have to rely on the driver's standpoint. I don't think the driver's going to come out and say, other than Kurt Busch, who was very disappointed with it, why they stood that long, what was going on. And I think it very well could have been TV. Um, but that's my take on the whole situation with the two laps of caution. Um, if, if it was TV, I think that they should be ashamed of themselves. I really do. Because it really could cost a driver like Brad Keselowski uh, a shot at the championship. One of the things that whenever you said about it and you like the idea of running back to the caution and everything, I'm to the point where there's enough people arguing one way or another on everything when it comes to this. The only flag that matters is the checker. So if they wreck 10, 10 feet in front of the start 
finish line. And the caution goes before they take the checker, they do it all over again. I'm tired of this interpretation of, okay, they crossed the white, they crossed the white flag. The next flag that goes is going to end the race. And That's then somebody's, de- somebody's determination of whether or not it is a caution, it, it, a wreck that's worth bringing out a caution, or if it's a spin that somebody spun that they would normally throw a caution for in the middle of the race, but they won't in the last lap. I mean, there's got to be, it's either finish or you deal with the controversy that we have and you hear everybody on both sides gripe and moan and complain. Um, so, so ARCA runs what they do. I don't know if you're aware. They run a limited amount of green white checkers until the leader takes, yep. takes a checkered flag. So if the leader's coming off a of turn four with a three-second lead over a driver in second and there's an accident in turn one and the caution comes out, before the leader takes a checkered flag, they have to do it all over again. To me, that's insanity. I don't disagree. And then it's, again, still, it's objective of whether or not when they throw the caution. And that's sort of like you said, if the guy has a three-second lead in Arca and there's a wreck in turn one, The one of the differences is between Talladega and other places, and this is where we go back to the Noah Gregson wrecks, you can lay off the gas and you're doing 185 mile an hour. You can take your foot off the gas, but guess what? You're still doing 170 whenever you come upon Noah Gregson. And you can't guarantee where his truck's going to go. He may have his foot on the brakes. His tires may blow in the process, and he may roll. I mean, that that one, I'm 100% in favor of taking care of the safety of the driver, safety of the team. But if it's behind far enough, like the Sunday accident, I'm fine with them running it to the end. But it's either you're going to have this controversy where people are going to be comparing apples to oranges, or you're going to end up just saying, all right, here we go. We're going to the checker, and that's how it's going to be. Yes, I understand what you're saying. You're absolutely right about that. We could argue for till next week um, about this. But my final point to this is, and I've said this for years, I think what happened on Sunday was much more exciting and much better, and the drama at the end of that race was so much better than it was on Saturday when you froze the field. That's the way I look at it. So I, I And to me, it – since we've frozen the field of NASCAR, and maybe you can say, well, we did it out of necessity, to me, uh, we've lost a, lo- a big aspect of the excitement of this sport because we freeze the field. That's how I feel about it. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's my final say on it. Let's talk about Kozlowski, though, John. Uh, running out of that gas, that hurt him. He was in the top ten um, when, when it happened, um, and now he finds himself in a position, and his teammate Ryan Blaine, and Kyle Larson, who had a little bit of an issue, which was on uh, get to in a little bit, uh, and then Alex Bowman. Those four right now at the at the end of Talladega are the bottom four in the playoffs because last Blaney, Larson, and Bowman. Um, and when you look at the points as they sit right now, you go, well, because only one point from the cutoff. Blaney's only four points from the cutoff. And then eight, uh, nine points back is Larson, who's only nine points back at a cutoff. Sure, that that's exactly what's on the math. However, Chase Elliott is the eighth-place driver, who automatically advances to the, the third round due to his win 
at Dover. So now that cutoff line comes up to Martin Trex Jr., and golly, John, Trex has almost a 20-point lead over Kozlowski, a 25-point lead over Blaney, and almost uh, a 27-point lead over Larson, and then Bowman's way back. Um, right now it comes to a situation, John, where Kozlowski and Blaney, Larson and Bowman need to win at Kansas, at Kansas to advance to the to round of Larson just got docked 10 points. He was closer than where than what he was. He was in the, above Chase Elliott in, on the, in the points, but now is docked 10 points because of the fact that um, he they put some it, it looked like braces on the car instead of the natural kick. You're not allowed to add anything to, to repair your race car. Larson's team did. They got docked 10 points for that. So now he's out of the playoffs. To me, those those four, John Kozlowski, Blaney, Larson, and Bowman, they need to win. Oh, yeah, they do. I mean, one of the things that Kozlowski can hope for is like a blown engine from 2X early in the race or something. The guy who benefited most from those last few laps of Talladega was Martin Truex Jr. Because at one point, he was below the cutoff line. And the other person who really got hurt by that one is Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch would have won the race the way it was going until he ran out of gas or ran out of gas and Almarola had the chance to pass him. So Kurt Busch, you put him up there with Chase Elliott locked in and Truex is down below the cutoff line because Eric Almarola is ahead of Truex in the points. So Truex, would have been below the cutoff line at the point whenever everything happened when Keselowski ran out of gas and Blaney ran out of gas. You were looking at one of the big three having to almost win to get in the way it was sitting going in Kansas. Um, Bowman has to win or he's out, and that ain't going to happen. Larson has to win or he's out, and that's got a chance to happen. And one of the things that I really felt interesting – when it came to Kyle Larson was his post-race comment saying Chip Ganassi Racing needs to invest in the restrictor plate program. They put a boatload of money in the uh, mile and a half, but the restrictor plate program, they've been crap is what he, what he said. And Kyle Larson's usually not the guy who calls out his team right. owner saying, hey, we, we need to do something. Usually he's the good soldier saying, well, we're working on it. We're working on it. That one, he didn't even say we're working on it. We were, we were crap. And we need to put some money into this program because we weren't even on, we weren't in the same zip code today. So it's that interesting. Was interesting interesting. Were, absolutely, John. And, and that was something that I caught on to. It, you don't really hear a driver do that much, you know, um, as far as nowadays, that might've happened a lot more back in the nineties and early two thousands, but you don't really hear a driver do that anymore. And I, I applaud Boston, but he has a point. You know, I remember looking at qualifying and going, Where's Kyle Larson? What the heck happened to Kyle Larson? He was 34th. Nothing happened to Kyle Larson. He barely beat out Jeffrey Earnhardt at Gaunt Brothers Racing, who run triad engines. I was like, whoa, that, that's terrible. Um, so I thought that was kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, to me, that was, that was a big, big deal with um, – with Larson, I, I just couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that he qualified that poorly, and and, and his teammate 
Uh, James McMurray wasn't much better. McMurray qualified 31st. So both of those cars who have Hendrick Motorsports engines, and watch what Hendrick Motorsports did in qualifying. They, were, they weren't the fastest cars, but they were all in the group 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, right there. You know, and um, so when you look at what their engines, you know it's not the horsepower. So you sat there and said, something's got to be going on there with, um, with Chip Ganassi Racing. And for Larson to come out and say that, uh, it was kind of surprising. It really was because you don't really hear Larson get too uh, animated after a race. He's very even keeled. And for him to kind of call his team out was very interesting. Uh, but absolutely, he wants to compete. And I think a lot of people felt frustration after that race on Sunday. Um, you know, when you look at what Stuart Haas Racing did, they were absolutely dominant. I mean, for a good part of the race, they were one, two, three, and four for most of that race. I mean, Kurt Busch led 108 of 193 laps in a very stricter plate race at Talladega. Kevin Harvick led 46 laps. Um, so that, that's a lot of leading for Stuart Haas Racing. They, they pretty much had their, their way with it on Sunday at Talladega, and it was it's alarming not only for this weekend at Talladega, but it's alarming for the 2019 Daytona 500. I think it was a big wake-up call because, remember, every race except for the Daytona 500 next year, we're going to do tapered spacers. The Daytona 500 is still going to be a restricted plate race under a similar package that we run at right now on the play tracks. So that, that, when you look at it, you say, well, Stuart Haas Racing, they're going to be in good shape. Amarol is always very good on a play track. Kurt Busch is always very good on a play track. Harvard runs very good on a play track. And Gordon is pretty decent. So when you look at that, you say, they're going to pretty much be the favorites to win the Daytona 500. And then if the team wants to come out and prove them and, and get a Daytona 500 victory under their belt, they're going to have to do a lot better than what they did at Talladega Super Speedway because that was super, super alarming to go out and watch Stuart Haas Racing completely dominate that race. It was unbelievable to watch. I don't think we've seen a team go out and dominate a super speedway race like that in a long time, maybe since the DEI days. I mean, I know Hendrick Motorsports recently has qualified very, very well. Um, they, they've, they've done a very good job, uh, and they, especially Daytona 500 week, of qualifying and getting their cars up there and getting their cars with speed. They've done a very good job with that. But for Stuart Haas Racing to come back and absolutely um, just, you know, dominate that weekend, absolutely dominate it, uh, I think it's very, very interesting to watch. And I think it was very alarming for a lot of teams out there to see what those four cars did this weekend at Daytona because uh, it was a – or at Talladega, excuse me, because it was in a big wake-up call that Stuart Haas Racing has pretty much got this plate – stuff figured out and nobody could catch him because uh, made an interesting move in that race and I thought it was something that um, hurt him as the race went on there was an opportunity for him to get down a line and split the Stuart Haas racing cars up where I believe it was Boyer and Amarola were a car length behind Harvick and Kurt Busch and Kozlowski had an opportunity to move down and break those cars up but he would have left his teammate Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano out to dry, and he didn't do it. And I said to, him, to, to the people I was watching the race with, that's going to come back and hurt him because he could have come down and broken up the, 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 the strong, strong uh, four cars there at Stuart Haas Racing and made it two and two 
and it would have put Stuart House Racing at a little bit of a disadvantage because you want all four of your cars up front. They, they knew for, until one lap to go, they were not leaving each other's bumpers because they were that good. And Kozlowski had an opportunity to break that up, and he didn't do it to sacrifice his teammates. So I thought that was very interesting. I would love to ask him if he regrets that move because Stuart House Racing, and obviously with, with the whole with the way the gas was coming, the way the gas turned out and everything, that really didn't factor into Kozlowski's finish or anything, or even Stuart House Racing's finish at the end of it. Um, so, but it was very interesting to watch. That team just had a stranglehold on this field, uh, on the super speedway tracks. It's something that you ha- we haven't really seen since the 15 and the 8 uh, uh, at DEI back in the early 2000s. Um, it certainly wasn't a great race. I don't think it was a, a – thank God we're going to a new package. Um, but I tell you what, John, if the Daytona 500 is anything like we saw at Talladega, it is going to be a Stuart Haas clinic once again. Well, there's a couple things that play into that that you have to think about. And uh, I don't remember if it was Steve Letarte or Jeff Burton who brought it up during the broadcast. Um, there's so much skew you can put in the rear end of the car. One of them gives you more handling. One of them gives you more speed. Because if you skew toward the driver's side on a super speedway, it gives you more speed because it takes less drag off to the rear end on the right side. If you put more skew to the right side, it gives you better handling. You feel the car into the track more, but you lose some speed. You notice all four Stuart Haas cars, the rear end was pointing left instead of right like normal. All of them put the skew as far as they possibly could to stay within legalities. Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney kept the downforce on the car. So that's part of the reason they couldn't keep up with Stuart Haas racing. Yeah, Keselowski early, it, it wasn't that close to the end where Keselowski had the chance to get in between them. So I think another pit stop, they all would have been ganged up together again. But I don't think Keselowski would have been able to keep up with the cars the way he had his rear end set because they weren't keep they weren't making the speed that Stuart Haas was. They were worried about handling. And since they repaved Talladega a few years ago, handling doesn't play as much into the game as it does at Daytona because you have more room. You have plenty of chances to make your mistakes and stuff like that. But – Part of it, I think, the setup of the car, the way they put the skew in the rear end, hurt the Penske, the Team Penske organization because they were playing more for handling and downforce than they were for pure speed. The four Stuart Haas cars, all they wanted to do was go pure speed, and our four guys can hold on to the steering wheel well enough to make sure that we can get around the track. It's a diff- I think that was the difference between Keselowski, Blaney, uh, Joey Logano, and the Stuart Haas cars. They were able to yeah, keep up listen. with them in the draft, but they weren't going to be able to. I mean, if Blaney, if Keselowski would have gotten the middle of them, he would have been able to keep sort of close to the third place car. But I think the fourth and fifth Stuart Haas cars would have been able to team themselves up together, go around the outside of Keselowski, and get by him. You, so you I mean, well I don't think right, it John. was that big a deal. Yeah, it, I was. I found it interesting though because I just think. It's easier to be two of them than it is to be four of them. There's no doubt about that. Uh, do you think next year when we get to Daytona, and again, this is only going to matter for the Daytona 500 because of Talladega, the 400-miler in July at Daytona, and that, uh, the, the fall Talladega race are all going to be running under a little bit different package with the tapered spacer instead of the restrictor plate. But do you think what Stuart Haas Racing did, and you bring up a great point about the skew, 
Uh, it was very, very obvious, especially on Kurt Busch's car. Uh, he took the pole. It was very obvious to see the skew and how s- sort of sideways that car was um, all day long. Now, here's here's a couple questions for you, and, and you're a lot more technical than I am, so that's why I want to get your opinion on this uh, o- over me. Um, for the Daytona 500 next year, there's going to be there's going to be there's two differences really, in my opinion. One is the fact that Daytona's a little bit, as you said, the handling comes into play a little bit more there, and two. They're taking away the driver adjustable track bar, which I think – because these cars have to go through inspection and pass the laser inspection. So I think that's a big reason why we see the skew in the car is that the driver sort of adjusts track, the track bar that way. They won't have the opportunity to do that. If they do that, it's going to have to be on a pit stop or something like that. So that to me is very interesting. Do you think those two factors really change uh, Stuart Haas Racing's outlook as we get ready for the Daytona 500? In 2019. Uh, first of all, one of the things where I see Stuart Haas still having a great shot at Daytona is it's one race. The whole package changes for the rest of the restrictor plate races. So who's going to put a boatload of money into one race when you've got 35 others that make a difference in the championship? Somebody may win the race and lock themselves into the playoffs but that's a hell of a big risk with a hell of a lot of money to put all your eggs in one basket for one race, because then you got to recreate the wheel for the other three restrictor plate races. I think as long as you have Doug Yates horsepower, as long as you have a Kevin Harvick and Eric Almarola and a Clint Boyer who are really, really good restrictor plate racers, I think Stuart Haas racing, you're going to have to beat them next year. But then again, the way it was this year, Harvick was dominating for a while. Almirola was up there at the end. But if someone taps you in the ass going into the third turn of the Daytona 500, no matter how good your car is, you're going to hit the wall. And somebody who has no business being in the playoffs, Austin Dillon, is going to get in the playoffs. So it's one of those it, – it, again, it's still one of those – it drives me crazy, the fact that we're on these damn restrictor plates where no matter what, the driver has no control over his destiny. It's a matter of where you're at, who pushes you, if you've got the right line, if, um, if the caution falls right, if you take two tires or four tires, that's a little wee bit of strategy. If somebody spins in front of you, you can have a great car and you can go home 40th. I still, and it, I will always hate it as long as they have this package where I'm looking forward to seeing how the tapered spacer does, if it gives them more throttle response, if it gives them a chance to um, be able to have some control over the car instead of being dependent on everybody else. Because the way it is right now, pack racing sucks. I hate it. You can't do anything yourself. Why bother? Interesting. For sure. I <laughs> I love. I like Tal- I didn't like this race, Talladega, but I like Talladega and Daytona usually in general. Uh, truck series, John. Before um, we we go off on on the silly season, which is coming up too a little bit, a little bit of news out of the silly season, but we still have a couple of rides out there that are questionable for next season. Um, truck series race, freight auctions, two fifty at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, it ended in some controversy, but it was Timothy Peters who's running for GMS Racing. Uh, they 
where he was, he was up front all day in his final race for GMS Racing, went out and, and got the victory. Myatt Snyder was second, David Gilliland third, driving for KBM. Then it was uh, Justin Haley and Wendell Chavez in fifth. Uh, but the big controversy at the end of that race was Timothy Peters made contact on the back straightaway with Noah Gregson, spun low Noah Gregson out. Gregson came out and said, uh, you know, that's a movie he had to make, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what were your thoughts? Uh, you know, to me, I thought it, the way I looked at it was I thought Gregson came up on him. You know, when you're in a plate race like that and you're in a lead, you have to block. And um, I think Gregson was trying to block. I don't think he did anything out of the ordinary there. I think he did what he had to do because he knew he was a sitting duck. But unfortunately for him, Timothy Peters had the position and uh, came up and spun out that 18 truck. But a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people on social media were not very fond of, of Timothy Peters at the end of that race. What were your thoughts? Timothy Peters is getting paid by GMS Racing to do the best he can for that 25 truck. Timothy Peters has not won since 2015. Timothy Peters does not have a full-time ride. Timothy Peters had a chance at a win. And guess what? Timothy Peters took every chance he got to get the win, and he did it. And Gregson blocked. So if if you're the one blocking, guess what? You made the mistake. It's not Timothy Peters isn't going to lift on the last lap at Talladega. There's no doubt in my mind he's not going to lift. You and I wouldn't lift. 90% of the drivers in the NASCAR series, no matter what level they're in, they're not going to lift. If you're going to make the block, you better be able to make sure you block them and keep them behind you because if he's got a crack at you and you try to go down at the wrong time, it's on you what happens to you. I'm 100% behind Timothy Peters in this. I think it's a great story. The fact that they called him and he was able to get a passport, hotel, and flight to Canada in the same day so he could drive that 25 truck was phenomenal. And GMS rewarded him with three races, and this was the last one of those three races. Hopefully, this will put enough in somebody, some truck owner's mind to say, hey, Timothy Peters still gets it done. He needs a ride. Put him in a damn truck because he's a darn good truck driver. Instead of the next seat filler who can bring a paycheck with them. And heck, if you look at half the way it works, half the paychecks that they, I mean, half the checks that they bring with them bounce. I mean, who would have thought Cody Coughlin would not be running for um, Thorsport? GMS. Because Jeg's bounce, or GMS, Jeg's checks bounced. Or else Jeg's decided they weren't going to keep paying. If you look at um, Dylan Sargent with Kyle Bush back in the day, his checks bounced. Kyle Bush put him, said, no, thank you, we're done. We're going to start putting somebody else in the truck because it's so to the point where the business model of this board is so screwed up that they, the car owners, truck owners, will take anybody who's bringing sponsorship dollars with them with a promise of sponsorship dollars. It's not even like the check is there in their hand to begin with. And, I mean, how's it going to come to the point where NASCAR, the team owners are going to say, okay, I want your money up front. And they're going to say, well, what are you going to provide for me? 
it's just a never-ending battle that the business model causes stuff like this. If the business model wasn't so, so screwed up, uh, Red Horse Racing would have never went away. If the business model wasn't so screwed up, Brad, Brad Keselowski Racing wouldn't have went away. Timothy Peters would have a ride. We wouldn't be having this controversy. You wouldn't have the Dylan Sargent coming up with promises of money and then not being able to, to deliver <clears throat> while you have a Timothy Peters sitting on the sideline who can win you races if he's in decent equipment. How long did it take uh, Brett Moffat to get in a decent ride because he wasn't walking in with a checkbook that somebody else had? He was, he's a driver. He does well. He's won a lot of races this year. But he was at Red Horse when it went away. And it was of no fault of his own. And you look with uh, Hattori Racing this year. There was a point where they were talking about they weren't going to be able to finish the season. And Brett yeah. Moffitt was locked into the playoffs. It's business that model screws all up. And that causes people like uh, Timothy Peters a chance to win, chance to be in good equipment full-time. And if you're on a one-off deal, guess what? You're going to make every opportunity that one-off deal because there's a slight chance that somebody might notice it and have the backing where they're not depending on somebody bringing sponsorship dollars with them. 917-889-8280. If you want to join the show here tonight on Talking Circles, listen, I agree. I love Peters. I think he's such a great driver. Uh, and he's such a nice guy, too, who you know just goes out and competes, and he's a great short tracker and I was hoping to see him in a truck at Martinsville. Doesn't sound like he's going to have a ride there, even in the 92 truck, um, which they parted ways. He said admirably, um, but they parted ways there over there at that 92 truck. Not sure if they're even going to be on the entry list in a couple of weeks at Martinsville. So we'll see. We'll keep our eyes there on that. He got his first cup race, ran a cup race at, I believe it was Daytona, that he ran his truck uh, cup race there in that 92 car for uh, that same team, Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. Um, but... It, He's got nothing the rest of this year, and, and that, to me, that's a shame. I, I, he, the truck series is better with Timothy Peters in it, in my opinion. I know a lot of these younger fans like these younger drivers who are coming up, um, but there's plenty of seats for them to go around. And, and to me, the, the truck series is much more competitive with a guy like Peters running for the championship. So, listen, I think it's very possible, unfortunately, that that could be, very well be his last race in the truck series. And what a, what a, a story it would be. Mike Wallace did it at the very, very end of his career in the truck series, winning at Talladega with a push from Mount Hornaday. Um, and I don't think we really saw him run a truck race ever again. Michael Waltrip, too. Um, you know, he ran a, a, couple, a handful of truck races, and the final one he did, he won at Daytona. Um, it could be very well be Timothy Peters who's had a le- legendary career in that truck series. Uh, his 11th and final victory very well could have been that race. Uh, so hopefully it's not. Hopefully he finds something and... and put something together for the 2019 season. But if it is, what a way to go out. Uh, and I agree. I also agree. I think the way um, that, that race was run, I, I just think it was – Gregson had a block. There's no doubt about that. And I think he came up on Peters, you know, and you're not going to lift there on the final lap, like you said. Um, truck Series also, their cutoff race is uh, now. Uh, th- th- this was their cutoff race at Talladega Super Speedway. Stuart Friesian is out. Same thing with Ben Rhodes. They are out of the playoffs uh, as we get ready to go. Their next race for the truck series is at Martinsville. Then they run Texas Phoenix and Homestead. The final four are all triple header weekends 
in the, or excuse me, the final three are also head of weekends. Uh, and then there's a doubleheader weekend at Martinsville with the Chucks in a Cup Series. Um, so Friesen and Rhodes are out. Um, listen, Friesen is a guy a lot of people had on their radar to, to run for the championship this year. He had a very good year. Um, the thing I heard him know, John, I think is Las Vegas. Had a tough day there, spun out a couple of times. And um, unfortunately for him, uh, it looks like that, that's going to be – that's what really cost him a shot at the championship. Before that, he had, he had a, a string of, of six straight top ten finishes, a couple of top fives sprinkled in there as well. So he was in a groove. Even Bowmanville and Canada, he ran very well at. But Las Vegas really hurt him. A sixth-place finish at Talladega, it did enough. But just it, – it, it was very good, but it wasn't enough for him to advance. Um, and I think Las Vegas really hurt him. I think the top the six guys who are advancing to the second round are the right six. I mean, until somebody shows me any different that they can beat Johnny Sauter, they can beat Gregson, they can beat Brett Moffitt. I mean, right now, unless something crazy happens, those three are going to be in the final four. It's a matter of who the fourth truck's going to be. Well, I agree with you. I think um... – when you look at who the top three drivers in the truck series have been, I think it's Sauter, Gregson, and Moffitt for sure. But anything can happen. I mean, Enfinger's coming on. He's run very well lately. Won that race at Vegas, which is shoes for him because he was able to advance. Um, you know, so I think when you look at that, you say, well, it was a, a decent day for sure. Uh, they got a decent shot at the championship. You know, Crafton and, and Thorsport, they've just been a little bit off. And I know Enfinger's Thorsport as well. They've been a little bit off Thorsport. And I think that's what's concerning for them is their switch to Ford hasn't gone as smoothly as I think a lot of people expected it to go. Um, and they've, they've kind of lost some speed here throughout the year. Um, and it's not the typical Matt Craft and dominance go out and win races. He only had three, he's only got three playoff points all year long um, that we've seen from that 88 truck. And Crafton, no doubt, if he's in the championship hunt, you have to put him in there. He could go out and win Martinsville for sure and advance to Homestead. And, and that's going to be the key for one of the, for these guys is if they could pull off a, a win. Um, and Martinsville's going to be a big key because that's sort of the equalizer because of the short track. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's Sauter, Gregson, Moffitt, and then it's really a toss-up between the other three when we get to Homestead Miami Speedway. Yeah, it's a, well, I think those three are locked in. And um, I think Crafton finds his way in. But that's just who Crafton is. It could very well be. Uh, we see that from the veteran in Matt Crafton. So there was silly season news this week, John, as we move on here and talk in circles. Silly season. And it's here. Um, I, I think uh, a big thing this week was, was Ryan Reed, Lily Diabetes. They're both leaving Rosh Fenway at the end of the year. Reed's been there five years. I think we've seen some regression, or not progression, I should say, from that 16 car in the Xfinity Series. He's just sort of been a 10th the seventh place driver hasn't really progressed from that, and I think that has hurt uh, Ryan Reed. Lily Diabetes leaving Rosh Fenway. A couple of things here, John. Where do you think Ryan Reed goes if he goes anywhere next year? And what about this 16 car in the Xfinity Series for Rosh Fenway? Um, I think Ryan Reed doesn't really go anywhere unless he wants to drive for Johnny Davis or something like that. The reason he was at Roush as long as he was, because he had a paycheck with him. He had a sponsor in his back pocket. And the minute Lily Diabetes didn't go forward, Ryan Reed's not going to be in that truck, in that Xfinity car next year. 
Um, it may open the door where uh, Chase Briscoe gets a full-time ride in the 16, but the way it's been, it's not like that car is anything to write home about. The only time that that 16 has been relatively respectable is on a restrictor plate race where you're locked in and all you have to do is stay on somebody's bumper. Again, it doesn't matter how good your car is. It's a matter if you're in the right line, right place, if enough people wreck in front of you and you're able to finish how the restrictor plate is. Ryan Reed has done nothing to impress me in his five years in the Xfinity series and hasn't shown any um, progression to say, okay, he's ready for a cup ride. And after five years in the uh, Xfinity series, unless you're someone like a Randy LaJoy who liked the idea of being home on Sunday, five years you really are hanging on like Elliot Sadler or you're not going to make it. Yeah. It, and uh, it's certainly long enough in my opinion to um, evaluate and, and it you can't say he didn't get a shot at it. Cause he did for sure. Rash has been pretty competitive there during his time there. And it definitely, I think was, you looked at it and said, okay, um, we, they both need to sort of move on here. It's going to be interesting to see what really about diabetes do, because it doesn't sound like they're leaving NASCAR, but it didn't sound necessarily like they were going to stick with Ryan Reed either. So maybe they're going to go with a little bit different strategy than, than, a, than a driver with diabetes. I don't know. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out there. And, and it's going to also be interesting to see if Roush keeps that 16 car alive. Um, you know, that thing's been around for a while. And Rash has been a big presence in the Xfinity Series for a long time. Certainly they got the other car in the 60 car uh, that runs Briscoe, uh, Majeski, and um, Cindric in it all this year. But that car's really, really struggled this year. They've had a lot of incidents in that car. So it's going to be interesting to see if Roush um, goes towards that Xfinity car and, and gets a second car in there and who he brings in to do that. Um, or if this is sort of a surprise and he's only going to run one Xfinity car next year. It's going to be very interesting to see what Roush does. And we'll keep you posted here on Talking Circles if any news breaks, if any silly season news breaks as well. Um, but, you know what, John, the big news today was the penalty on Kyle Larson. Um, he got docked 10 points. His car chief was suspended. His crew chief got fined. Uh, a big penalty for Kyle Larson. He was in the, in the cutoff. Now he's outside the cutoff. Uh, as we get ready for Kansas, that's a big penalty for him uh, in that 42 car uh, that was announced today. It sounded like they put some kind of uh, added uh, equipment on the car when they try to repair it instead of tape. And in NASCAR 2018, that's a no-no to save teams money. So a big penalty for Larson. Yeah, basically it said that uh, the rule says you can – reattach stuff in its original location with fasteners and or tape only. And it sounds like they put new fasteners in instead of the original stuff, which put him 10 points down, no car chief this week and Chad Johnson, a little lighter in the wallet. Um, he was in still in a, almost a winner be out situation being 26 points back going into this re this race at Kansas but now he's 36 points below the cutoff line. One of the things that does work for Larson being at Kansas is it's a multi-groove track. This isn't a follow the leader on the bottom. You can actually go up and run up top, and that's what Larson does. He finds 
He uses his old dirt track experience to find grip on the track, and Larson's good at doing that. In the mile and a half, Larson is very strong. So I give Larson a puncher's chance, same way I give Keselowski a puncher's chance. There's some people up there in the top eight who have the ability to have something go crazy, crazy wrong. I mean, you look, the last two weeks, Martin Truex Jr. has not been good at all. Martin Truex Jr. was terrible at Talladega. I don't know if he was riding in the back to ride in the back or if he was riding in the back because he sucked. He wasn't anything spectacular at Dover where he's usually very competitive. So I, I can see a Keselowski or a Blaney or a Larson who both all three of them run really well on restrictor plate track. I mean, on mile and a half tracks, I could see one of those three winning and Truex, one of our big three, not making the round of the round of eight. Yeah, that's going to be wild. Certainly going to be wild to see how that all plays out. I mean, um, yeah. And, and, you have to wonder what if that was a miscommunication between um, Chad Johnson and uh, his team, or, or if they didn't understand the rules correctly, or they just were that desperate to sort of continue because they were they knew they were going to be on that cut, on that cut line, and they said, "Listen, we don't really care what the penalty is. Um, we're going to do what we have to do to continue." Um, listen, that's a big penalty. That's a huge penalty for them, and losing the car chief. I'm not sure how that's going to help how that's going to hurt them. Um, but certainly Larson, who hasn't won a race all year long, now needs to go out and win a race. Uh, and, and so does Penske. You mentioned the Penske boys. Uh, they are, at least the two, Blaney and Kozlowski, they're going to have to go out and pull off a rabbit out of the hat too um, at Kansas as well. But we've seen some speed from them in a while and a half. Larson, not so much. Um, you know, He had a very good race, I believe it was Kansas, where he almost won with, with Kyle Busch. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Kansas is a very interesting race. We're back to another mile and a half, John, this weekend. And I think that makes that sort of what – what I think you, if you're a, a fan of the big three, what I want to see is these guys get right. You know, sure, Harvick had a very good week at Dover, but, you know, we haven't seen them win a race in a long time now. Um, you know, and I want to – if I'm a fan of Kyle Busch, Mark Trickster, or Kevin Harvick, I don't want to see any excuses this weekend. This is a place to get right. I think it's very – similar to what we're going to see at Homestead Miami Speedway at the end of the year. So uh, what were your thoughts real quick on, on Kansas and the big three? One of the things that the big three and Harvick talked about this last night on happy hours is, yeah, we can do a lot of damage in the first 26 races, but when it comes to playoff time, everybody's bringing their best stuff and everybody's worked on stuff throughout the year to make it better. So the shorter, I mean, when you hit the playoffs, the competition steps up. And Harvick said also one of the mottos in there is survive and move forward. And they didn't go any, do anything super crazy to put themselves in a position where they could get in trouble and not move forward. They made sure they were able to survive and they're able to move forward. I mean, you look, Harvick is 63 points above the playoff, the cutoff point right now. So he's pretty solid. And I think he's going to be in for sure. sure. Kyle Bush is going to be in. Truex, he's he's going to fight for it, but as long as he stays for ahead sure. of Kislev and Blaney, and I'm going to be if I'm Truex and Cole Pern, I'm driving in a rearview mirror, and I want to know where Kislevsky, Blaney, and Larson are every lap. Yeah, I think um, again, 
I understand the whole point situation with Harvick, but if I'm a fan of the big three, I mean, I want to see them. What I want to see this weekend at Kansas, what I saw on a mile and a half tracks all the regular season, where it was like, okay, those three, or if you know, okay, Kyle Busch is going to get right. This is the track. If if my point is, if we if you go to Kansas here, and you're a fan of of either of these three drivers, and these drivers just don't perform well, it kind of puts you in the back of your head and go, man, I'm not so confident that we're gonna we're going to be able to race for a championship. Now, if you perform well and do everything right and you finish second and you just lose by, you know, because your car didn't handle right at the end, you could live with that. And I think you, if you're a fan of any one of those three and that happens, you can live with that. But what you can't live with is another mistake on pit road or the car not handling well enough because at the end of the day, um, this track is a mile-and-a-half track, and that's where we run our championship on, and you're going to have to bring it to win that championship and beat the best of the best at Homestead Miami Speedway. And that, this package, I think, is going to be very similar to Homestead. So if I'm a fan of the big three, I want to see them perform at the highest level this weekend. Yeah, but that's exactly what you want. You want the big three to start showing themselves. But one of the things you're looking at, Chase Elliott won at Dover, even though Car- Harvick pretty much dominated the race. Um Eric Almirola won at Talladega, even though Kurt Busch and Harvick dominated the race. I don't think – I don't have a problem with the way Harvick's sitting right now. It's not like he's sitting back there like Truex, who's been fighting for 20th place at times. Harvick's been in the top five all day long. So I'm comfortable with I'm Harvick. Kyle Busch has been struggling lately, and I'm not sure what the cause of that is. But right now, if I'm a Stuart Haas driver – and you look, it's going to come to the point we may end up having four Stuart Haas drivers in the top eight. And I, as we look going forward, Phoenix is Harvick's playground. Harvick won at Texas last year and ran well at Texas last year. It wasn't like he just sat back and got whatever. Remember, we were joking. That was one of the few times we saw a Ford pass Martin Truex on a mile and a half track or Kyle Busch on a mile and a half track. The first time we saw a Ford pass a Toyota on a mile and a half and Martinsville is a crap shoot. That one, you can almost bank Kyle Busch or the bunch that's in the playoffs having the best shot at winning with Kurt. I mean, Clint Boyer won earlier this year there. So there's a shot. <laughs> it's crazy as all hell. There's a good shot. We could see all four Stuart Haas cars, the way the other three, all four of them are running great. You could end up seeing Almirola win somewhere at Texas. You could see Kurt Busch win at Martinsville or Clint Boyer win at Martinsville. You'll see, you could see, I mean, Boyer runs great. Kurt Busch runs great at Phoenix. And it could be the three of them win and Harvick wants his way in. And there's your four, all four Stuart Haas cars. How crazy would that be? Yeah, that would be wild, and uh, I don't think it's – I think anything can happen for sure. So we're going to have to keep our eyes on it. Um, It would be a wild, wild uh, homestead race if Stuart Haas knows that they're going to get a championship out of the race. It it would be interesting to see what NASCAR – how NASCAR would feel about that. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight, Uh, and we'll see you next time here on Talking Circles after Kansas. Good night, everybody.